This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hello there, everybody. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead, number 270, recorded Monday, May 23rd, 2016, also known as Victoria Day. Victoria Day. Happy first long weekend of the unofficial summer. No, first unofficial long weekend of the summer. That's it. No. <laughs> the unofficial start to summer in Canada is generally what people think of this day as. Exactly. It That's is... It what is I was a, trying to say. Yeah, exactly. You you were close. It's a holiday up here. It's Victoria Day. It is the day we use to celebrate the Queen's birthday. Uh, it's been a holiday since the mid-1800s. And uh, so we all had the day off, which was really, really nice. And the weather, where we live anyways, Jason, was beautiful today. Yes, very much beautiful. We went down to the waterfront. We sat down there for a good hour and a half today. It was wonderful. Drinking a coffee and chatting, I bet. We, I was drinking a coffee and Jenny was chatting. <laughs> it's funny how that's the way it goes usually. <laughs> yeah. She's a talker. Well, happy Victoria Day to the Canadians out there. I looked it up, um, and it's not a holiday anywhere else, not even in, in Britain, which I thought was strange. Uh, I think some places in, in parts of Scotland, they, they recognize it, but it's really mostly a Canadian thing. So uh, Victoria Day, hooray. Yay. Uh, quick fun fact about Queen Victoria that I found out today. She was only five feet tall. She's five foot nothing. She was five foot nothing, exactly. She was very, very short. Wow. So uh, I just thought that was interesting because, you know, with queens and kings, you know, they always paint them and stuff like that to make them look humongous because they're very big personalities. But uh, Artistic license. I guess that's what it is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> In real life, she was rather petite. Hmm. Uh, okay, so we're not here to talk about Queen Victoria or any other queen. We are here to talk about... Fear the Walking Dead, of course, and the first if thing. We, what? Sorry. If we were, we'd have to call ourselves the Talking Queens, <laughs> which really isn't that great a name. No. It's not, for the, us. not the worst name, it's though. It's not the worst, but sorry. That just popped into my head. No, that's fine. We should start a podcast about Queen and just talk about a different song of theirs every every week, and it can we be can the Queen Talkers. or the All four Queens. members of that band have written a number one hit. Really? They all yeah. they all wrote their own hits? Well, they didn't write their own hits, but they've all been uh, the primary songwriter on a number one hit. All four members. While with Queen or post-Queen? While with Queen. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And what, the bass player is, has a doctorate in astrophysics. Is there any other band that you can say that about, where they've all, every member has written a number one hit, like the Beatles? No, they used to write stuff for Ringo. Like I don't think Ringo wrote his own stuff. He's had hits that he where he sang. Yeah, Yellow Submarine. I don't, yeah, for example. Uh, but I don't think any. Uh, I don't think he's written anything. Interesting. Well, maybe Queen's the only band there. Queen, yeah, fantastic, huge, huge band. Very, very big. Uh, okay, can we get on to Fear the Walking Dead now? Yeah, yeah. Let's. Uh, we'll end the Talking Queens podcast and uh, <laughs> move on to the Fear the or Hear the Talking Dead. That's right. That's what we're here for, to do. Uh, as always, we're going to take a look back at uh, last week on Fear the Walking Dead first. And uh, the first thing to make note of is the ratings, and they pretty much held steady. It's almost no change from the week before. Season two, episode six, had four point four nine million viewers. Number five had 4.41, so they've really leveled out here and not a lot is changing. What will be interesting, I guess, is to see what happens with the mid-season finale, which we, we just watched last night. 
Right. That's only 800,000 people. It's it's like a drop in the bucket when you're drop talking about Drop in the bucket. It. I mean, if each of those 800,000 people gave me a dollar, I'd probably just throw it away. <laughs> it's, like, well, what can I do with an extra $800,000? Nothing. I mean, that's just walking around money that you probably don't need. Yeah. You know, right. I'll buy a coffee here or there. It'll add up eventually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so 800,000 people, that's nothing. It's nothing, no. Uh, in terms of TV ratings, when we're talking about the millions, it really is not, I mean, I guess it's not insignificant. If you're talking about having a show that has 800,000 viewers and then the next week they have, you know, 16 or 1.6 million viewers, that's a, that's a big increase, but. Right. Or if you go from 800,000 to none. Oh yeah. That's, that's, that's a big drop. That's a hundred percent drop. That's, that's not good. Not good at all. But for Fear the Walking Dead, it's pretty, pretty even 4.41 to 4.49 and, uh. There you go. So as I was saying, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the midseason finale um, after the ratings for that come in. I was hoping we'd get them early this week. Sometimes they do that with with finales and premieres, but I couldn't find them before we started to record tonight. So we'll have to talk about it uh, the next time we record. They'll probably release them in about uh, half an hour. Probably. We are starting a little earlier than usual today, so uh, yeah. it's probably going to happen while we're doing this. If you get that breaking news bulletin, Jason, just break in with that information at any time. Oh, I definitely do not get those. I mean, I, I, I don't know what uh, your source is, but anytime I look at ratings, it's Wikipedia. And I'm not sure uh, if that's the, the primary. That's definitely not the primary source, but I don't know how quickly people update that. Yeah, that, I do get a lot of the ratings from there, but they come from TV by the numbers usually, which is a, which is a ratings website, right. TV and ratings website. Anyhow, let's do some listener feedback for last week's episode, which was number six. Uh, Bill on the internet writes in regarding the owl symbol that we saw on Luis's coin and the little temple where Ophelia was praying with Nick. Right. And he uses a word here that's um, that's not English, and I don't know if I'm going to pronounce it right, but it's lacuza or lechuza, L-E-C-H-U-Z-A. Uh, so I'm going to go with lacuza because it sounds more natural to me. But Bill writes, the word lacuza is used by Spanish speakers in some areas to mean an ordinary barn owl. But in some regions of Mexico, when someone speaks of seeing or hearing a lacuza, they aren't talking about an ordinary owl. Lacuzas are witches who turn into owls and sometimes other animal forms at night. The Mexican lacuza is not always evil, but seeing one is usually very frightening. They make a terrible shriek to hear, uh, they make a terrible shriek and to hear one in your home is a portent of death. And uh, I went and looked this up. It's, it all comes from Mexican folklore involving like human-sized owls that have wow. been transformed from witches. And that does sound pretty terrifying to me, I must admit. It would. It, would, it sounds fairly terrifying to me, though, even though I like owls generally. Well, I like owls, but if you open your door coming home one night and there's a human-sized owl standing in your front hall, that's going to freak the shit out of you. Yeah, I'd be afraid of it eating me. <laughs> yeah, or just looking at me funny. I mean, although owls don't generally eat things their own size, they eat smaller animals. So mice and mice and rats and moles and voles and other vermin, other birds and stuff. So a human-sized owl, I wouldn't be too terribly worried about. A horse-sized owl, or maybe a <laughs> moose-sized owl. Actually, a moose-sized anything. I don't give a shit what it is. If I saw a moose-sized puppy, I'd run. Well, I'd, sure. I'd probably uh, empty my uh, my bladder first, just in case, and then I'd turn and run. <laughs> just in case, because you can run faster with an empty bladder. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, just uh, you gotta you gotta. It's you know like what they did uh, 
uh, in Star Wars, what they do with the uh, uh, the battleships. They they dump their garbage before they take off, and that's how the Millennium Falcon got away. Star Destroyers, Jason. Star, Star Destroyers. Destroyers, thank you. <laughs> battleships, come on. Battleships, what the hell? <laughs> Seriously. Well, it's uh, not a Star Wars podcast. No, but I still. <laughs> you need Dude. to know things like that, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyways, I, I just wanted to read that from Bill because, um, you know, I didn't know any of that sort of Mexican folklore, and so clearly that owl symbol comes from somewhere and uh, whether it pops up on the show again or not, I, I don't know, but it's uh, it's not just a random thing that they're putting in there that was only personal to maybe that family or something like that. It, it definitely comes from somewhere. So it, it's a thing. It's definitely a thing. Um, Jackie in SoCal writes, maybe Celia sees the zombie state as a visible purgatory. However, if you use the head kill to prevent the purgatory process and the soul might be uh, relegated to hell. By poisoning the parishioners with communion wafers, she accomplished two things. One, she prevented those parishioners from performing head kills. If the par- parishioners had done that, they'd be murderers, which is a mortal sin in Catholic rules, and their souls would go straight to hell. Two, uh, she relegated them to purgatory. She's not a murderer, helping their souls get ready to graduate to heaven. Might be a stretch, but with all the Catholic religious references, I thought it was plausible. Hmm. Yeah, so... It's rather complicated, <laughs> Jackie's theory here, but it's it's about going to purgatory, which is about being, you know, f- washed of your minor sins so then you can move on to heaven rather than going straight to hell by performing a, uh, a mortal sin like killing someone or, or right. something like that. Yeah. So in being in purgatory, your uh, your remaining family members can uh, can work on getting you into heaven too. Is that how it works? They can do that? I think so. I think they used to used to be able to do that. Basically, you give the church money, and then you oh, can go to heaven. Right. Pay up enough, and uh, your deceased loved ones will get to the front of the line. Well, that's a very cynical way of looking at it, but uh, essentially, yeah. So you tithe money to the church as a gesture of goodwill, and the church would go, yeah, okay. So if their people are giving tithes on based on uh, on their behalf, they're probably ultimately a good person. So we'll uh, we'll put in a word, a good word with the big guy, not Santa Claus, God. Uh, and uh, maybe he can go uh, go to heaven. Right. Okay. Well, Kate in Sydney, Australia wrote in with a much simpler uh, sort of theory, and she writes, just a note on your comments about Celia's motivations for killing a bunch of people. It's Lizzie logic, right? They don't need Shane. They need Carol and some flowers. And some flowers. Look at those flowers, everybody. Uh, and that's just in reference to you talking about how they need a Shane to show up and start shooting people in the chest and saying, you know, does a living person get back up from that? Right. Not, you know, obviously they don't. So. No, they need a Carol. They need a Carol who's willing to make them look at the flowers. Uh, okay. So here's a call from Jason in California. Oh. Hi, this is Jason from California. I'm just calling the comments on the whole border guards thing. And the truth is, have you heard anything about Mexico? Mexico guards are corrupt. Police, military, everything. So what happens when they keep the barricade up is not because they're doing their job. It's because they're trying to extort as much gold or jewelry as they can in case things get better. They weren't asking for dollars or pesos or anything like that. They wanted gold or other precious metals that 
might have some value after the world's finished ending. All right. Thank you very much, Jason. Now, I, I do want to say that he called back just after leaving that message to clarify that he wasn't trying to speak poorly of the entire Mexican army and or police force. Right. Um, what he wanted to say that is these two guys, you know, that were guarding the border at this moment were obviously corrupt and they had an agenda to gather gold or whatever valuables they wanted so that in case things went back to normal, they could live the good life. Right. Okay. Well, that, that kind of makes sense. It's, it's, uh, it's not really very well thought out on their behalf, unfortunately. And uh, they made the incorrect assumption that the world is going to finish ending. <laughs> right. When the world <laughs> finishes ending, it's usually over. Yeah. It's not coming back. But Right. So, yeah, they, they were assuming that gold would be valuable in uh, some kind of post-post-apocalypse. Right. Exactly. And then that's just not usually the case. No. No. So, um but yeah, the, it sort of helps explain too why it was so easy for these for them to get through or get away from them, right? They said, "Give us your gold." Everyone said, "Well, we don't have any gold, or this is all we have." And then there was some shooting, and they fled. And these guys aren't going to chase after them for you know probably nothing. They're just going to go back to their post and wait for the next boat to come in that might have some gold that they want. Yeah. Right? So you think they just basically went, "What a pain in the ass! Forget it." Pretty much. This, these guys aren't worth it. Why? chase after them sure the boat's nice but you know what are we doing here there's going to be another boat along in half an hour probably and maybe they'll have something better for us well that makes sense yeah sort of does uh okay here's another call from timmy on the internet hi there i was just listening to your most recent podcast and i had some thoughts about the episode i feel like specifically with chris and strand i just can't stop thinking about it Chris definitely was okay with Madison dying. I'm not sure he specifically wanted her to die, but I do not think he would have had any remorse if she had passed. I think the only reason he even felt guilty at all was because he saw, what's her name? Alicia's face. As soon as, it's like a reflection, you know, when you have to reflect on your thoughts, he sees it on her face and he's like, oh yeah, I guess that is kind of horrible. And I actually don't think he feels guilty about whether or not he would have led to her dying. I think he feels guilty that he feels weird about it. I definitely think Chris is a little bit, um, nutso. <laughs> Strand, on the other hand, I actually have this weird level of respect for, but I don't really think that he loved Abigail that much. I think Strand was somewhat of a domesticated pet. Maybe a not fully domesticated pet in the way that he felt obligated to Abigail. I think he trusted him. I think he respected him. I think he looked at him as his uh, source of food and shelter. And I think that he perhaps appreciated him. But I don't think that he actually um, will be that devastated. I think he'll be sad, of course. But I do think he's going to be okay. I think he'll move on. And I really got that feeling actually from a couple episodes ago when Thomas Abigail was saying, I love you, when Strand was leaving, and Strand looked back and said, I'll be back in a few days. I think to Strand, the relationship was not specifically about love. It was about this element of respect and obligation that they had for each other, which in a weird way, I respect. I don't know why. I feel like I shouldn't, but I totally do. It's totally bizarre. Anyway, this is Timmy called a couple weeks ago. 
Love the podcast. Thanks so much. I'm going to finish listening now. I just had to talk about those two guys. All right. Thanks, Timmy. So longer call, but I wanted to to play it because I think uh, her comments on Chris and her comments on Strand um, in some ways were both kind of validated this week on the on the recent episode. I think so. You know, um, Chris, well, she finishes by saying Chris is definitely a little nutso. And yeah. well, uh, you know, we'll get into it when we're, we're done the feedback here. But Chris, I would say, is definitely a little nutso. Um, and Strand, you know, again, did he seem all that broken up by Tom Abigail's death? Like he was definitely sad and he was definitely um, troubled after all of it. Um, but was he really that devastated? It's, uh, you know, that's debatable, I would say. It is debatable. Um, you know, we'll get more in, into it, but uh, I, I think he was fairly devastated, but we didn't get a whole lot of screen time of, uh, he didn't get a whole lot of screen time to really convey the depth of emotions. He was he was busy pretty much the whole time doing other things. Right. right? Well, the, the shit hit the fan, of course. And, yeah. uh, and so sometimes you just don't have time, time to grieve. You got to, you got to move on or deal with the situation that's in front of you at that moment. So what we got in this episode was him sort of sitting in the room with people talking at him, sort of saying, you know, what's the matter with you? Um, Now he did go and dig the grave and all that, but you know, it's, uh, it's not like he completely shut down and wasn't able to do anything because he was so grief stricken over all this. Yeah. So, uh, all right. Email here from Tom who is a parent of two teenagers who do stupid things in Delaware, Ohio. (laughs) Tom writes, in regards to Chris walking into Maddie and Alicia's room, there is no way he was walking into the room to kill anyone. If you're going to sneak into a room at night to kill someone, wouldn't you bring a knife or something with you to do the job? He picked up the knife after he was in the room. Why was he there in the first place or why he picked up the knife? Because TV. I don't see any intent to kill when he entered the room unless he's a ninja and no one knows it yet. Let's chalk it up to those stupid teenage years. We all fondly reminisce over. Right. You know, um, a lot of teenagers when given the opportunity, will sneak into a girl's room in the middle of the night. Oh, I'm sure you've got a story, Jason. Uh, Tom's actual words was, you know, why was he there in the first place or why he picked up the knife because show. And I think he means because TV, like it's a TV show and he has to, it has to be dramatic and exciting and stuff like that. So right. it's, it's more of a writing thing than it is, uh, you know, a realism type thing. Um, but, but he's right. I mean, if you're going to go to kill someone, you generally want to take a weapon with you. And I guess we don't know that he didn't have a weapon, but he does go and picks up a knife off the, off the bedside table. And the assumption is he was going to do something bad with it. I don't think he's a planner. No, I that's another he, thing. Yeah, I don't think he's the, the sharpest apple on the tree. <laughs> nope, I don't think so. That's how that's, that phrase goes, right? I don't think so. <laughs> is, is it the shiniest knife in the drawer? That's right, the shiniest knife in the drawer. Right, okay. Um, no, he, I just don't think he's planned ahead. Like, he's just he's just overwhelmed, Chris, by his his own brain like his own emotions you know he doesn't know what he's doing most of the time and again in this episode we'll talk about it but i don't think he knows what the hell he's doing you know most of the time um but uh, speaking of the knife anthony in independence uh missouri writes so they shake down everyone for their weapons including all the small knives they have on them but then allow people to take kitchen knives to bed with them 
<laughs> yeah, where'd they get the knife? Well, I don't know why Maddie had that knife in the room. Um, did she hide it? Did she just take it, put it there for protection? Maybe the bedrooms come with knives. Each bedroom comes with a knife? You have to leave your weapons at the door, but each bedroom comes with a set of knives for personal protection while you're sleeping. It's like Bibles in hotel rooms. Yeah, it's like the Gideon Bible in every hotel room. Mm -hmm. You know, just in case you forget your Bible at home, there's a Bible in the drawer. So now it's a matter of, uh, you know, we take your weapons, but... At least, you know, by giving you a, a, a one or, or two knives or however many knives in each bedroom, we know where the knives are. Right. right. So in case we need to know, we can go into a room and know that there are two knives in this room somewhere. Even if there's somebody in there saying, I don't have any knives. Like, well, there were two knives here when we left the room empty. And now you're in the room. There's going to be knives in here. So you find the knives and you know that's all of the weapons in the room. <laughs> yes. Each room comes with knives. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is, the, to me. it is the zombie apocalypse. Yes, exactly. Uh, all right. Finally, a call from designer Will in Brooklyn. Hey, guys. This is designer Will from Brooklyn calling in with feedback on the previous episode, Sicket Service. And I got to say, as a iTunes season pass holder, I have the added benefit of the opinions of people such as Dave Erickson, the executive producer, and some of the actors and when you were talking about what people think of Nick or see in him, uh, I can at least offer that Dave had said a quote earlier, Nick is best suited for this world. He also offered that Nick's impulsive actions are inspired by hits of adrenaline that have now replaced his hits that he used to get when he would do drugs. So a little insight to Nick there. But anyway... I just got to say that this last episode was awesome. I loved it. It was super suspenseful with Chris at the end. I thought the bleeding eyes in the beginning were really kind of creepy and awesome. And the conflict between Maddie and Travis was really good. I got to say in general, this episode really baked my apple. It's a thing now. That one's for you, Jason. <laughs> All right. Talk to you later. Yeah, it seems to be becoming a thing. Awesome. So, uh, that's amazing. Um but uh, what, what do you think, Jason, about Designer Will's comments that, uh, yeah, I mean, you and I are both iTunes subscribers to this show as well. Uh, at least I am. I believe you are. I am, yeah. And um, so we receive those, those behind-the-scenes type episodes as well. I must admit, I rarely watch them, though. Um, one, well, mostly because I, I, or I should say I rarely watch them before we record. Sometimes I watch them after we record. I don't want sort of my opinion of the show to be affected or clouded at all by what the producers have to say, because, you know, they might explain things or they might, you know, tell give us extra information, but I like to try and take the episode kind of at face value, at least at first. Right. And then maybe go back and look up some other stuff on it. So um, I don't know. I never really see those things before we, before we record, but uh, let me ask you, I mean, what do you think about, um, designer will he said that dave erickson offered his opinion on something i'm not so sure it can be considered an opinion and maybe that's just semantics maybe that's just the word that will chose but uh it i don't really can think be an opinion i don't I think agree the show with the term the showrunner can't have an opinion of his own show can yes he? he can because i believe that any kind of uh whether it's writing a book or producing a television show or creating a movie uh you cannot instill the meaning in someone else's 
mind. So it's a collaboration between the creator of the, uh, of the art and the um, consumer of it. So this was actually an opinion uh, or a forward to a book by an author that I shall not name uh, because he meant a lot to me and now I hate him. But I, anyway. I know who it is. Yes. So, sorry, hate's a, a strong word. I seriously dislike his personal opinions on certain matters. Got it. Anyway, so uh, it's a collaboration. When you can write a novel and then you can release it into the world, uh, but the ultimate meaning of that novel is not known by the author because you can't possibly know what is in somebody else's mind when they read the book. And it's the same thing with the television show. They can put all kinds of whatever they intended to mean in there, but the ultimate meaning is a collaboration between the creator and the consumer of the uh, 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 of the episode. That's sort of what I mean. Like the author, the the consumer of the art forms an opinion about it or forms yep. ideas and an opinion about it. The creator of the art has intentions, not opi opinions, right? They they have an intended, generally an intended message that they want to convey. Yeah. Um. But I wouldn't call that an opinion. An opinion mean you know implies that there could be alternate uh alternate takes or alternate opinions i'm not so sure a creator goes into something like that don't doesn't a creator go in with i want to tell this particular story and it it means this it may mean this to me but this is what it means yeah so they can, they can dictate plot points but they can't dictate ultimate meaning right of the, of the Right, episode. right, right, right. Anyways, we ended up talking about the uh, kind of the semantics of of what um, Dave Erickson said instead of what he actually said was that Chris, uh, not Chris, that Nick um, does things because he he's his body has kind of replaced his drug addiction with with adrenaline, yeah, <laughs> and he's able to like you know act in uh, in these intense situations without you know without freaking out or whatever yeah no that that uh, it's very plausible and it's why he's valuable to these people in some ways especially strand and that's i think what strand saw him in him originally right which is why he wanted to bring him along so so yeah i i think a lot of people believe that addicts are not just drug addicts or alcoholics or addicted to whatever they're addicts and whatever their drug of choice is uh they are uh, an addict, and you can switch your drug of choice. And I guess Nick has switched from heroin to adrenaline junkie. <laughs> he switched from heroin to zombies. Right. <laughs> it's an unusual switch, but some people do it. Yeah. Right? Well, one person's done it. One person anyways, yeah. All right. Thanks, everyone, for sending in your thoughts about last week. Um, let's move on and talk about Season 2, Episode 7, which is the mid-season finale. Now, here's the description of this episode from AMC. Our family faces their greatest test yet. Nick, Travis, Madison, and others go to great lengths to keep each other close. And uh, weirdly, we've got a title read for this one. So cool. I'm going to play it. This comes from Gareth in Bielefeld, Germany. She va 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 so I thought that was good. That is good. <laughs> um, now, regarding the title, um, 
So what did we, I said last week, Shiva, it's, uh, or, or Shiva. What did I say? I don't Shiva. know. I said, yeah, I said it related to the, uh, uh, sorry, I said Shiva. That's right. And it may, I said, it may relate to the walking dead comic for a reason that readers will know. Um, but it, I also said it was a Hindu, one of the Hindu, uh, gods, right? Yeah. Well, a number of people wrote in to say, you know, you're probably missing the most obvious definition of this. And this includes Rosie on the internet, Andrea in Colorado, and Jenny in South Carolina, who all wrote in. And it's probably not Shiva, as I was pronouncing it, but Shiva. Shiva, as in sitting Shiva. From Judaism, a period of seven days, formal mourning for the dead, beginning immediately after the funeral. (laughs) Well, there it is. So, I mean, I don't know. When I went, I just saw the name and got focused on the one sort of meaning and you know that's what i went to look up on the internet and i didn't really expand my mind at all there so i think you guys are all probably right that's probably more the uh the meaning they were going for yep but uh anyhow what are you gonna do it is what it is yeah you make mistakes you move on you move on and you learn from them actually it's an uh, it's an error an error is uh is a mistake that you're willing to correct Right. Whereas a mistake is something you don't correct. Okay. Well, I've ma- I made an error and I feel like I have officially corrected it. Yes. I, I or guess. have been corrected. Have been corrected. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the listeners are for, man, to correct us when we're wrong. Absolutely. Um, all right. Well, where do we start with this episode? Mid-season finale. And uh, I guess I'll just throw it out there. I didn't think it was great. It was okay. I mean, we had a big fire at the end. That's a that's a hallmark of a mid-season finale or a finale. <laughs> yeah, and I must admit, the first thing that I thought is, huh, another big fire. They're they're doing this again, are they? <laughs> we got to burn shit down in order to, you know, move on. I guess when you burn the set down, you can never go back there because it's gone. They burn down Herschel's barn, so they have to leave and they can never go back. I don't know about that. Well, cuz I remember I don't know if you I've never actually seen the movie. But you remember the movie Blues Brothers 2000? Um, yeah. It I was a sequel to, it was Dan Aykroyd and um, John Goodman. Yeah, I haven't seen that movie either. No, no, I and I refuse to actually watch it. I'm just like, the Blues Brothers was this awesome movie that shall just be the entirety of everything Blues Brothers. Mm-hmm. You know, and so, but I know that the Blues Brothers 2000 exists and it was crap, but it was filmed in Toronto. And I remember seeing a set that they built for this movie down, uh, it's now uh, a bunch of condos that was built for the uh, the Pan Am Games. They tore down the whole neighborhood and built these, these condos, these rooms for the, uh, the Pan Am Games for the athletes. Okay. And now they're turning them into condos. But they built the set and they built it in reverse. The first thing they built was the burned out building. And then when they were done filming that part, they built the rest of the building in order to film the stuff that happened before the building burned down. Okay. So when you say when you burn down a set, you can never go back to it, that's not entirely true because you can build a set that uh, is a burned-out building and then build this, build it uh, to be non-burned-out later. <laughs> go backwards, I guess. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm just saying they burn down Herschel's farm. They basically explode Terminus. 
you know, things like that. Like they're, they're not a fan of leaving things behind. I mean, Alexandria, they lit the lake on fire. You know, it was, it was pretty big. Um, now to be fair, they're, uh, you know, Alexandria technically still exists, I guess. Yeah. Well, when you burn down a lake, it's all you're burning down is water, right? You're right. So once it, the water burns out, it's just a, you know, it'll fill with water again. Eventually <laughs> it'd probably be fine. Right. Yeah. Um, all I'm saying is when they, when they, when they lit this place on fire at the end, I thought, well, here we go again, another fire, but that's not really my main problem with this episode. I think it was a weak mid season finale after a string of six decent episodes. Um, and I was really hoping that they'd really go out on a high note here, which I'm not so sure they did. And I think the main problem I have, and this is going to sound weird, but I felt like there was too much payoff and not enough setup, which is opposite of what I normally think, you know, too much setup and not enough payoff. And the reason I felt this way is on one hand, I think, most of the characters were doing things in this episode that I don't think are were entirely justified based on sort of what we've seen of their experiences so far. Or maybe we just haven't quite seen enough of them, of their experiences, for the kind of payoff we get in this episode. Um, you know... What I'm what I mean is like Chris. Let's talk about Chris for exa- for example. He thinks everyone hates him so much, so he wanders off into Mexico, kidnaps a boy, holds him at knife point, gets in a a knife fight with his own father, and I thought, really, like this is how bad off he is. I know he's been through some some bad stuff, but but really, he's going to wander off into Mexico and 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 try to kill a boy and point a gun at his dad and do all these things. I didn't feel like we'd had enough of Chris suffering to get to this point. Do you know what I mean? Uh, well, you know, his mom died. He's been through a lot. He right? has been. And when you, when you decide to break bad, you, uh, you break bad all the way. He's been through a lot. Absolutely. But, but he also has this, family around him which he may not see it at this moment but it's a pretty good family he's got people there at least his dad who wants to help him and he's pointing a gun at the one guy who probably is still on his side and i was like oh really i mean i don't know it just it felt like an extreme measure that chris went to that didn't kind of add up from everything that came before even though yes he's been through a lot and i get it he's he's emotionally destroyed and so on but for some reason, I just didn't feel like it was it, – it didn't feel like we were at the point yet where this is the payoff of Chris's suffering. And they rushed I it. I think they rushed it. That's what, you, that's what oh, I'm saying. Think, okay. So we didn't get enough of his storyline for you. It was all accent and no uh, lead up. It was a little bit. Yes, exactly. Um, and then there were other stuff here, other things here too. Um, you know, I don't – I don't blame Travis for going off into the desert after his son, but then to find him and decide that he's abandoning his wife, he's not going back to Madison. That didn't seem like the Travis we know. No, Um, no, Travis is, uh, yeah. I I didn't think that uh, it was out of character. I just thought he's wrong. Like, he's obviously going to end up back with Madison. Like, there's no question about that. So I was a little confused at the choice that that he made and that the writers made uh, to have him do that. But 
it, it, it doesn't make any sense to me either. But I didn't think that it was uh, out of character. I just thought, yeah, he's not right about that. Well, yeah, he's not right. I mean, I don't think it's the right decision either. But I did feel like it was a little bit out of character. And, and I get that it's his son. And, you know, the blood relationship is pretty strong. And, and you know what? I, I suppose I would do... I mean, my children are the are the number one most important people in my life. It's just the way it is. When you have kids, that's that's what happens. I, I guess for most people, I I can only speak for myself. But, um, you know, and I get that it's his son, and he wants to go out there and find him and help him and so on. But I just don't see him, you know, meeting up with Nick there at the end and saying, "No, I'm not going back. I'm not going back to to my wife." Like he'd be the he'd he has to be the kind of guy that finds a way to make all of these situations work, <laughs> you know, right. and maybe that takes some time, but I don't, I wouldn't see Travis going, I'm not going back now. You're right. I don't think he's going to, that's going to stick, you know, they're going to end up back together eventually. Yeah. 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 He's not off the show. Um, right. And they're not going to write the rest of the people off the show and stick with him. We're not going to have the Travis and Chris, you know, traveling road show from now on. That's or uh, yeah. That's maybe we'll work. have two different shows. Maybe this is a splinter show. Oh it's, Jesus. They haven't done that before. They've never done that where you take actually, they have, uh, you know, they have spinoffs where you take one character and you, you focus on their lives afterwards and the rest of the actors just kind of go by the wayside, uh, <laughs> the rest of the characters, but they've never actually done a show where they split a show into two shows. Yeah, I guess. That's I'm, a great idea. Well, no. I'm not I, sure if this is the time and place to do it, but I like the concept. Okay. Concept, conceptually, maybe. Walking Dead, AMC, please don't do that. We've only got so much time to podcast about Walking Dead TV shows uh, because you know we would follow the new show too. They must have done that somewhere. Somebody must have had this idea where you split off a show and then, but you keep going with the original show. I don't know. I'm sure someone will tell us if they have. All I'm trying to say is my point is I don't think, and this is similar to, to Chris, I don't think what we've seen from Travis so far makes this, makes his actions make sense. In this episode, going after his son. Sure. That's fine. We know, you know, it's his son. You don't have to see very much to know that there's a very strong relationship bond there. Um, but I think he has that with Madison as well. And now he's decided to abandon her, at least for the time being, but we don't really know. So I'm not sure Travis's actions made any sense here either. Um, and then Daniel. Um, so two episodes ago, he hears one voice in his head for the first time in, what was it at that point, like 10 or 11 episodes? Yep. And now, suddenly, he's full on talking to his dead wife. She's standing in front of him, and he kills himself by fire. Now, we will talk maybe about whether he's actually dead or not, but just let's say, for now, for the point of this conversation, he's dead. He committed suicide by lighting the zombies on fire in the basement there. Yep. We go from a couple episodes ago, one little voice, take the gun, Daniel, to full on crazy man burning himself alive. So I think there's too, too much acceleration in the crazy department. Too much. Ex- exactly. That's what it is. We didn't get the story we needed to get him to that point. And that's what I mean by too much payoff, not enough setup. I can see that. I can see you're making you're making all kinds of valid points here in my in uh, in my brain. <laughs> all right. Well, so for these reasons, and I, you know, maybe a few more, 
Uh, there was some other weird stuff in this episode. I, I didn't love it. I don't think it was terrible. Um, and you know, it, it ended kind of strong, I guess, with them, with them driving away and you don't know what's happening. Everything's burning down. And yes, the group is split apart, but I, the other thing about them splitting apart is I just felt like everything in this episode felt like it was designed just to split this group up to, to create that problem amongst them. Right. Um, and that's, and that's where they want to go for the second half of, of season two when it comes back, whenever, whenever in, in August, I guess we don't know for sure. They haven't announced the date, right? but you know, it's like, I don't want to be cynical about it, but you, I can't help but think they sit down writing this season and they're like, here's the story we want to tell. And at some point we have to split this group up because that's great for TV tension. It is not. You never split the party. I don't know how many times I have to say this. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think so either. Uh, I mean, I agree with you. Um, but it felt like this episode was designed to have that happen. You know, everybody hates Chris <laughs> and he runs off. So Travis that's a, follows That's him. a TV show right there. That's a TV show right there. Yeah, exactly. Um, anyways, do you have any thoughts on, on this episode in, in general or, or more specifics? What did you think of it? Well, generally before our conversation that we've just had here, I, I, I kind of <laughs> liked it, but now my opinion is kind of swayed to, uh, you know, maybe there's just, there's too much, like we, we just, we got here too quickly. Like we didn't uh, get enough lead up for a lot of this stuff. Like in, uh, some of the, <sighs> damn it, Chris, I agree with you. Yeah. I should have let you go first. Cause we could have started on a more positive maybe, but, uh, as a mid season finale, like, um, are you, are you satisfied with it? Are you excited about, you know, what's going to happen in, in number eight and the rest of the season? Well, I, uh, as far as that's concerned, yes, I am. Cause I didn't like this. Uh, I didn't like this plantation that they were on. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I didn't think it was a good place to, to stick around for a very long time. So, uh, I figured they'd burn down the boat, but they can't burn down the boat if they're going to burn down the vineyard. So you gotta, if you're going to burn something down, you got to pick something to burn down. You can't burn everything down. Right. Right. You need to have not something a, left standing. Not in, not in this show. I mean, in related shows, sure, you get to burn down something a couple times over there, over seven seasons or six seasons or whatever. But, uh, you know, this is a whole other show. Mm-hmm. So this is the first time they've burned something down. They've got, a, you know, in three seasons from now, they can burn something else down. But you can't burn down two things in the same half season. So I'm just glad that they burned something down. <laughs> something, all right. Yeah. Well, the only... And I don't understand how it burned down anyway. You're okay. So picture this. You're in a room. It's got a ceramic floor. I'm in a room right now. You are in a room right yeah, now. Yeah, not ceramic floor though. Okay. So you're in a you're in a big room. Mm-hmm. You're in a wine cellar. Mm-hmm. Sort of a wine cellar. It's where they store the wine casks in order to age the wine, I assume, because there's a whole bunch of casks. Yep. I assume the casks are full of liquid of some kind. I don't know what's in them. There could be wine, could be pickles, who knows. But I assume that, you know, barrels are, are designed to hold some kind of liquid mm-hmm. or dwarves, depending on what movie you're watching. <laughs> yeah. Depending on what you're into. Yeah. <laughs> depending <laughs> on what you're into. What's in the... Oh, sorry. You never saw the Hobbit movies. Uh, I saw the first one. Did you ever... And so you saw them in the barrels? I don't remember. I didn't like that movie so much. I've blocked it out. Are, have you read the Hobbit? Nope. Okay. So a button the dwarves from the Hobbit get into barrels and ride down. Okay. Okay. So I tr- that's that's I, the reference. I trust you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's not just me thinking about dwarves and barrels. All right. It's an actual literary reference. Very good. All right. So you're in a room. 
The room's got ceramic floors. It's got iron bars. It's got barrels full of liquid. You have some gasoline. You pour some gasoline on the floor. It's also full of people, mm-hmm. uh, mostly bags of water, essentially. Don't, that don't burn very well. Yeah. That don't burn very well. Mm-hmm. You pour some gasoline on the floor. You throw a, uh, a lighter, a lit lighter, onto the ground. The gasoline catches on fire. There's nothing in here that burns. Yeah, but in my I, opinion, I know, and and I did think that that fire took off rather quick. It's like so that's another example, right? Oh. How did that? How do we get to all? You know, he throws the the lighter on. This is the part that I uh, I agree with you, but and I was going to bring this up that he throws the lighter on the ground, the, catches on fire, and we've got a bit of a flame, and he's standing, you know, straddling the flame a little bit in, uh, uh, which reminded me of Back to the Future when the car. How, anyway, how could it not? How could it not? Mm-hmm. So, and the next thing we see, the whole friggin' place is on fire. Yep. If, like, just everything is on fire. Mm-hmm. How the hell did we get there? I did have the same thought when I was watching it. I'm like, boy, that fire escalated quickly. <laughs> it really did. You know, what I chalked it up to, though, was the the heat and dryness of that place. That place looks like it hasn't had rain in a hundred years. And so, yeah, sure, they were, even though they have a pool and stuff like that, I know you don't need rain for a pool. I'm just saying it looked very, the landscape looked very dry. So I'm thinking, you know, if, if that building was, was super dry and brittle, you know, maybe a little bit of fire in the basement would just catch onto the floorboards above and just spread really quickly. I don't know. Uh, But you're right. It did seem to take over that place awfully fast. So even if it burned down one of the barrels, barrels are made of wood. Mm -hmm. I assume the, you know, that eventually the wood would catch, but barrels are made from hardwood and it's hard to just take a match and light a piece of hardwood on fire. Mm-hmm. It's quite difficult. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to do it with a magnifying glass earlier today in the hot sun. I couldn't light anything on fire. Not even ants? Uh, I didn't do that. I did, I was able to burn marks into the, the piece of wood I was trying it with. Did you try burning your skin? No. And I made sure that the children knew that that was a bad idea that, you know, that were around too. All right, well... So even if the barrels caught on fire, yep. eventually the barrel, uh, the barrel's integrity would break, and then all of the liquid, whatever pickles, dwarves, <laughs> wine, would come out and put out the fire. Especially the dwarves, because you know, yeah, because they they hate fire. Firefighters. Yeah. Anyhow, it well, yeah, I don't know. It's it's weird. Chalk it up to dryness, and the place lit up really fast. But here, right. but the real question though is: Is Daniel dead? Did he burn to death in there? Oh yeah, of course. And did is Celia dead? Yes. Yeah. We, Celia was dead before he got there. We didn't see either of their bodies. No, we saw a big bunch of blood on the ground though when he when he walked in there. The room is full of zombies. There could be and they eat live dog puppies. It could be there could be blood on the ground from from a million I, things. I blocked that out. Damn you. Uh, sorry. I'm just I saying forgot about that. I'm well, <laughs> okay. I'm pissed off again. <laughs> sorry, man. I'm just saying there could be blood from a lot of things and we didn't see a body for Celia. We didn't see a body for Daniel. We didn't see a body for Lori. She's dead. Yeah, we didn't see a body for Lori. <laughs> we did see her son shoot her in the head, though. So Yeah, but still, we didn't see her body. <laughs> Fine. Maybe she got shot in the head and then said, wow, that was loud, and then got up and walked away. <laughs> She's kicking around somewhere. That doesn't usually happen when you get <laughs> shot in the head. People have been shot in the head and lived before. Oh, I know. Absolutely. Um, all I'm saying is there is some question as to whether Daniel and Celia are dead. I, I think they are, frankly. I, I don't think either of them are coming back to this show. No, they're um, dead. But, but you never know. 
Um, let me talk about Madison for a minute because I did think that Madison's plot in this episode was one of the better parts of it. And what I liked about it is that all this stuff is happening around her and none of it she can control. And I sort of enjoyed that kind of craziness that she was experiencing, right? She's got, uh, she's got the Celia and Nick thing going on and she's trying to talk some sense into her son, but can't seem to do it. She's got Travis running away. And even though she doesn't really realize he's not coming back at this point, he's gone and he didn't come back and she can't do anything about that. You know, she's got Strand being kicked out of the place and she's decided that Strand is a friend. And so she's all upset about that. And so she sees all this stuff happening around her and all this craziness, but she's powerless to do anything about it. And I, I enjoyed that. I, I, for some reason I liked that. I thought, you know, I thought it was good and interesting for Madison's character because it forced her to step up and do something. And that something was to take Celia into the zombie room and lock her in there. That was the best, hands down, the best part of this whole episode. It was. And you could, like they telegraphed it. You could see it coming, right? She was stepping backwards. She was like taking a step back, step back. And then they asked, uh, Celia asked her, was there anything you wouldn't do for your kids? Nope. <laughs> Click. <laughs> there is definitely nothing I wouldn't do for my Fuck family. you, Celia. <laughs> yeah. But I liked how everything was out of her control, but then she grabbed onto something and was like, I can at least do this. <laughs> I can at least murder someone. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, and everything will be better then. Yes. Um, but what I mean by telegraphing it is like when, when they were still in Abigail's bedroom talking and then Madison suddenly changes her tune and says, but I want to understand. I really do about, you know, how Celia and Nick are starting to feel about the zombies. I, there was no doubt in my mind that she was playing her at that moment. I don't know about you, but I, I thought for sure, oh, she's got something up her sleeve. I don't know what's about to happen. I didn't know they were going to go down to the zombie room. Although she did, I think she said, show me, right? And then I'm right. like, oh, they're going down. I know what's going to happen. And as soon as they walked in there, I was like, oh, this is going to be great. She's going to lock her in and we're going to see Celia get torn apart, um, which we didn't. So she may still be alive. But uh, I think I think that whole plot line and scene and everything was done really well. And it was fun to watch. Maddie, I think she's control. a ninja and hanging on to the ceiling. Like she jumped up eight feet into the air, or ten feet up into the air, and hung on to something up there to so the zombies couldn't get her. Man, there's all kinds of places to hide. That was a big room. She could hide. She could. There could be another exit. There could be. She could hide in one of the barrels. She could get in a barrel with all the dwarfs pickles or the pickles. <laughs> was it? Sorry, was it dwarfs? Dwarfs. Yeah. Okay. You know, and it is dwarfs. It's not dwarves. Right. That's uh, Tolkien dwarfs. Right. Okay. So I got it right. Yeah. Oh, look at me. I, I know we've, I think you've explained that to me before, so it must've just stuck somewhere in my brain. It's like the maple leaves, not the maple leaves. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, what was I saying? Oh, Celia, I'm just saying there are options. She could have escaped. She could have hidden, whatever. She might still be in there. Now the she room She could have punched her way out. She could have. Maybe she's the zombie whisperer and she can- keep them all back by talking softly to them and waving her arms. Right. <laughs> it's, well, who knows, man? Horse whispers don't wave their arms. No, but I bet you a zombie whisperer might. I don't know. You bet me? I bet you. <laughs> you going to bet me that they might? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, 
what about uh, speaking? Okay, what about Nick? Is he just being weird again? Nick, he, he we've been here for what twelve hours? They've been here for one day. All they've had time to do is um, uh, eat some food and go to bed. And yeah. Chris Chris goes crazy. And Nick is this deep into this like weird lady's cult. Well, he and he's also been dressed up in gore every twelve hours since he figured it out. Like every chance he gets, he's like, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna take some bodily fluids and smear them all over my face and walk around because that's the best idea ever." Oh, it's so much fun, and 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 not only that, but he had time to go all the way back to the boat and bring Luis all the way back to the house. Yeah, like what? It doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. It seemed like it took them a while to get there from the boat. They had to walk a whole bunch. That ah, was the same day. He had a moped. He's fine. <sighs> I don't know. A basket on the front, and he put the he put the zombie in the basket, and then he motored his way all the way up here, bypassing all of the zombies in the neighborhood. Maybe, but it felt way too fast for me. I mean, even if he could get to the coast quickly, he has to then get a boat out to the big out to the Abigail. You know, wrangle that. He's still on shore, so we know that the boat is still kicking around, right? They didn't just take the boat after they left the Abigail. Uh, the uh, the border patrol or whatever they were didn't take the boat. Mm-hmm. So the boat's still there. We know that now. Okay, I guess we know that now. That's a good piece of information. I'm just saying that once again, the timing doesn't work. He yeah. he goes and comes back too quickly. So, but more importantly, I just feel like you know we're supposed to believe that this quickly he's already bought into Celia's kind of views on the zombie, and it's happened so fast, even for an impressionable 19-year-old, right, who may be very willing to accept these kind of weird ideas. It just seems like, my God, this happened so, so quickly. Well, maybe he doesn't have to be converted. Maybe this is already an idea that's been floating around in his head since the zombie uh, outbreak began. I remember being in physics in grade 13, back when they had grade 13, and the physics teacher would teach something or talk about the conservation of momentum or whatever. And my brain just went, yeah, that makes sense. Nobody had to convert me into the idea that, you know, when two objects of equal mass smack into each other at exactly the same velocity, that they just both stop. (laughs) Or if one is twice the size of another one and they hit at the same velocity, they go half the velocity in the direction of the smaller one conservation of momentum it just kind of makes sense nobody had to convert me to that it's just like oh yeah okay whatever yeah i know but i don't know that physics is it's just an example i don't maybe he's been had this like nick's had this idea in his head rattling around and then he shows up here and it's just like well it's just another stage of life that we didn't know about previously and uh now the dead walk around but they're still the people so he's had this idea in his head well they did imply that in this episode, I think, when he when he said, you know, I came face to face with one. I wasn't scared. Um, I just knew I wasn't going to die, he said. So, I mean, I guess I guess what you're saying holds some truth because he's at least been thinking it since then. Or he was having thoughts that he didn't really understand. And then Celia comes along and is like, oh, I understand now. Right. Yeah. I really liked the line when he was talking to his mom. And Madison said, uh, you know, you know, don't call them zombies or don't call them the dead. It's like, well, what do you want me to call them? Call them by their names. By their names. Yeah. I thought that was a beautiful line. Yeah. <laughs> Except they're 
damn zombies. <laughs> They're yes, not... but he doesn't believe that. It's I a know. good. It was a good line. It was you know. You just what do you mean? Ref, you don't need to refer to them as anything. Call they're still their own people. Call them by them. Call them by their names. It, it it was a good way to um sort of portray his feelings and his thoughts that that he's gotten from Celia, right? Yeah. In fact, they are still people. Uh, it it just felt too fast to me. Like they've been here for this short amount of time, and I and I know that. He may have been having thoughts up to this point, but he's just been converted too easily for, in my opinion, um, because, you know, it's, it's one thing I think to feel a little more at home in the zombie apocalypse. I think we've talked about this where he almost feels more comfortable now than he did before living in the real world in the same way that Daryl Dixon kind of did or kind of yeah. does. Um, but that's fine. Like it's one thing to feel more comfortable. I think it's, it's something totally different though, to feel like you're one of them. You know, I think Nick really feels like he is one of them, even though he's not, hasn't died and reanimated yet. You know, he well, was like, he's a, a, a Zelig type character where he just melds into whatever group that he happens to be in at any given time. Well, I guess that seems to be what he's done. He's, you know, he puts on the gormaflage every chance he gets and he walks around with them. Like he really feels. he wants to be a zombie. He really feels like he is one of the zombies already. Yeah, he's, he's one of them. No problem. He shows up here and there's a, some kind of weird cult where they believe that they, the dead are actually still living. Because, you know, it's hard to argue with the fact that the sons of bitches are still walking around. <laughs> they like, how do you are. argue with that? We can't. <laughs> so, you know, he gets there. He's, you know, he's one of them. Yeah. When, he's with, uh, when he's with Strand, he feels like he's one of him. <laughs> he's not, Strand isn't really a them, so it's hard to, you know, use the term one of them. So right. he's one of, one of him. And he's with his family. He's one of them. So maybe he, he's uh, he's pretty much just Zelig. Yeah, I don't know. I just wish they'd take more time with it and getting to these sorts of things, these realizations for these characters. Right. Um. And for me, it's just happening all too fast. The one other thing about Nick is just at the end when they're fleeing and everything's on fire. Um, Madison, his mom, I felt like let him go a little too easy. You know, and and it's a weird contrast between what Travis does for his son. And what Madison does for her son here, you know, he's, he's saying, I'm not going anywhere. I'm just going to walk with the dead over here, even though this place is on fire. Um, and I know Madison was kind of being dragged away by Strand and, and Alicia and in that, in that truck, but this was a perfect moment for that old cliche line. I'm not going if you won't come with me. And they didn't do it, which I guess is a good thing. But this feels like the kind of situation where you'd want something like that, even though uh, kind of, yeah, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it came to my mind. I'm like, oh, she's going to say, well, I'm not going unless you come with me. And that forces him to come. Otherwise, you know, his mom dies too, but they didn't go for it. She just left. So, you know what? I've talked myself into thinking that's kind of a good thing for the story, even though I didn't really buy it at the time. Okay, good. I'm glad you came around. <laughs> I came around, yeah. Um, all right. Can we talk about Daniel before we, we wrap this up? What did you think we can about talk about Daniel? What do you think about Daniel's backstory and what we learned about him before well, we he learned the little boy to is Daniel? Mm-hmm. We were we were wondering whether or not that was Daniel or someone that he was working with or working with or interacting with being choked by or choking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Daniel went full on crazy. 
seeing his uh, his dead wife, uh, hearing voices, and yeah, he's uh, he's full on, and he, he even made a shiv, which which is funny because he didn't, you know, maybe he didn't notice that there were knives in his room, so he had to make one of his own. Oh, that's right. He was sharpening that blade or whatever. Yeah, he was sharpening. I'm not sure what he was sharpening, but uh, he sure as hell wanted to make something sharp. Because, uh, you know, I'm sure he wasn't polishing it to make it shiny. No, you don't really polish your knife. You sharpen it. I guess. Well, yeah, it depends on what he, uh, I don't know what he was using. I mean, he could have had a, you know, a, a rock or something. It's like, yeah. you know what? I really want this rock to be smooth. I'm going to rub it on this other rock for a while. <laughs> sure. You know, it could happen. I guess so. <laughs> Uh, so I assume he was making a shiv. Uh-huh. Uh, what did I think? Uh, ultimately, I think I agree with you in that it came on a little quickly. His uh, the voices and seeing things and his hallucinations um, came on a little quickly, but uh, ultimately, I thought it was interesting. It was. I just had, in some ways, a little hard time, a little bit of a hard time following it along, sort of like. We find it, I mean, we already knew he was a torturer or he did some torturing as an adult, but what they decided to show us was his first kill as a child where someone gives him a gun and he has to shoot somebody um, who's already in pretty rough shape. Not that that makes it any easier. Um, we know he's devastated by the loss of his wife, which they sort of went to great lengths here to portray. And we sort of find out in this episode that she was his support or his rock, as they say, um, for dealing with the mental anguish of hurting people. Right. And, and that's fine. I mean, that's, you know, that's a, sounds like a pretty solid relationship if, if not a little strange. Um, well, without her, he goes crazy. So he offloads a lot of his uh, craziness onto her. She accepts, accepts the responsibility and, uh, it keeps him relatively grounded. Now that she's gone, he's no longer grounded, and so he conjures her up in a last-ditch effort in order to stay grounded, Mm -hmm. but obviously that doesn't work. So the people—so when he's standing in there lighting the place on fire and the zombies in front of him start turning back into people, he he starts seeing them as people. Are these the people he tortured, like, that he's seeing, Um, or, you know— are these people turning back into what they looked like before? But how would he know what they looked like? They don't, he, he never met yeah. them before. So is he seeing the ones he tortured in that scene? That's what I assumed. I assumed that these were the people that he had wronged in the past. Okay. Because his wife came out of that group, right? She walked out from behind and out to the front. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's, well, it may not be people that he wronged in the past, but people that he knows. Right, he's superimposed. So he's superimposing the images of people he knows on on top of the actual zombies that are standing there. Yeah, it, and they were moving awfully slow. They were like, "Oh, look at the human being there. Yeah, it looks yummy and everything." But I'm going to walk very slowly <laughs> towards him. It was what I think I was getting at, though, is like I had that same feeling. Well, these must be. Well, I I thought these must be the people that he tortured, and so he's kind of. He's seeing them because he's letting go of all of this anguish he's had for all these years. He's while well, he's killing himself, he's joining the people maybe that he he killed. He's become one of them and he's just getting rid of all his his pain, right? But on the other hand, I found the scene a little bit confusing because it seems to contradict everything that Daniel has been saying all along that these are not people, these are the monsters, these are the zombies. 
you know, you can't keep them down there. They're not coming back from anything. And it felt like him starting to see them as people in that moment almost validated what Celia, how she saw everything. And so I think they were supposed to be two separate things in this episode to a degree, like Daniel dealing with his demons and Celia treating zombies the way she does. But it was a little confusing in that moment, I thought. And and uh, I wasn't quite sure what they were going for, but I think probably it was Daniel seeing the people he tortured and joining them by sacrificing himself. Yeah, I I, I agree with you. but uh, And I also agree with you that uh, it does seem a little confusing because it does kind of validate what Celia was talking about. It's like, oh, they are people right. after all. Son of a bitch. Yeah, and here I am. I've already lit the fire, so what can I do? <laughs> well, maybe he has a big problem with uh, with killing zombies because he thinks that they are people, but he's much better uh, at, you know, more mentally equipped to be able to de- deal with uh, killing living people. Mm-hmm. So by uh, making them into living people, it's okay to kill them. Uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally not. <laughs> it's totally not. <laughs> um. So I don't know. I mean, I know I've been pretty negative on this episode and, and I do think actually it was maybe the weakest one of the yeah. the seven of season two. Um, but, uh, and, and I just don't think it was a great finale. I did like the Madison stuff though. I think, I think um, Kim Dickens was great in this episode and what Madison, the character got to do was great. I hope they focus on her a little bit more going forward into the second half of this season because she's becoming for me the most interesting character. Yeah. Maybe that's why they're getting rid of Travis. It's like we got to get rid of Travis so that Madison can uh have the spotlight all to herself. Maybe. Like did the same thing with Lori. They got rid of Lori so that Rick would be all by himself. Well, I mean, it you know, getting rid of uh the spouse of a main character is you know, torturous on that character. So it's good for, it's good for seeing people suffer. And if we know one thing, the walking dead loves to make its characters suffer. Yeah. (laughs) So maybe, uh, maybe he's going to be gone for the first few episodes of the next half of the season. And then he shows up as a zombie and be like, Holy crap, what happened there? And then we'll never know, but we'll know he's dead. Well, we'll... Madison will have to kill him or not kill him, but uh, shoot him in the head. Shoot him in the head. Maybe by then, maybe by then Nick will have, will have, uh, converted her to his way of seeing things. Right. And they'll keep him as a pet. (laughs) Right. They'll keep him in the shed to play PlayStation and stuff. Yeah. Why not? Uh, okay. So, uh, that's, I think that's it for, um, uh, this episode number seven. Uh, and we're into the mid season break. So there's no more walking dead TV show stuff to talk about. Well, walking dead actual episodes to talk about Jason for the next couple of months. Um, but that doesn't mean we're over here. We are going to read some listener feedback coming up right after this short break. So stick around. When you wake up, cobwebs on your eyelids, stuck in rigor mortis. Just get going till you hit the ocean and you turn Yeah. 
If you'd like to help out uh, the Talking Dead podcast, you can do so in two easy ways. One is by visiting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash the talking dead. Uh, there you can make a small monthly pledge and all the money just goes right back into the podcast and helping us uh, put it on each and every week. If that's not your thing, you can also visit us uh, or use our Amazon links by going to talkingdeadpodcast.com slash Amazon and clicking on the country of your choice. Um, and then when you do your shopping at Amazon, tiny little cut comes back to us. Doesn't cost you a thing. It's uh, practically invisible to what you're doing. And I know you're buying stuff at Amazon anyways, so you might as well click one of those links before you go and do your shopping. Um, it's a it's a great way to help out. We appreciate all the support from everybody. All right, we are back, everyone. Thanks for sticking around. Just before we get into the listener feedback, I thought I'd take this opportunity to let everyone know that we were indeed nominated for a podcast award. Yay! Hooray! Uh, if you remember uh, a couple months ago, or maybe less, we asked everyone to go over to podcastawards.com and nominate us or submit our show in the TV and film category to see if uh, we could get nominated for this year. And we in fact did. So uh, we're up against a bunch of other great shows in that category. Um, but uh, we're going to try and win it, right? We're going to, we're in it to win it, Jason. In it to win it. That's right. <laughs> we're up against uh, the Outlander cast. Yeah. It's a podcast about the show Outlander. It sure by, is. Uh, not Roger Moore, not uh, Michael Moore, the guy who did Battlestar Galactica. Um, Moore. Yeah. His last name is Moore. Yeah. <laughs> Ron Moore. Ronald D. Ron Moore. Moore. Yeah. Ronald D. Moore, who wrote, uh, uh, for Star Trek too. Yes, he did. Um, yeah, we're up against a bunch of, a bunch of other shows, Cord Killers, Jared Goes to the Movies, uh, Once, Atom Once Upon a Time podcast, um, Star Wars in Character. So I have a feeling we were up against them last year too. Anyhow, um, that is uh, very exciting for us, and I want to thank everyone that went and submitted us in that category because clearly it paid off. Um, but you're not done yet, I'm afraid. There is now a voting period uh, that we have to go through to try and win this thing. So voting is not open yet. Voting opens on Sunday, May 29th. Is that next Sunday? I think that's May next. May 29th, I believe it is. There you go. Sunday, May 29th. Something about that date feels off to me. Anyways, uh, that's what it says on their website. So um, that's when voting opens. We will remind you via our Facebook page and Twitter and every time we are on the air um, to go and vote for us. And you can vote daily. And uh, we hope all of our fantastic listeners will do that. So um, thanks in advance to everyone. And uh, just stay tuned and keep your eyes on facebook.com slash the talking dead or talking dead on Twitter for reminders to do that. So uh, let's see if we can pull this one home this year, Jason, and, and win ourselves a podcast award. I think we can pull it home, Chris. All right. Nothing like pulling, pulling something at home. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's move on into listener feedback. 
Listener feedback. Okay, so first email here comes from Chuck from our Facebook page. Chuck writes, I've been reading the comics since 2009-ish and a fan of The Walking Dead since the premiere. But for me, it has suffered from a vague level of sameness for a few seasons. I cannot put my finger on it. Even the comics are starting to become a little meh. However, I am really enjoying Fear because I have zero expectations of what is coming and enjoying how much they are building the characters. Now, I wonder if Chuck feels the same way after kind of blowing up all the characters in this last episode or at least, you know, paying paying off the build up a little too fast. Uh, but maybe he doesn't feel that way, so I'm not sure. But the idea that Fear is is all new and different than the comic and the original show, um, I agree with him in that respect it is it is refreshing yeah we have no idea what the heck's going to happen other than we know that it's a zombie apocalypse and that uh, it's not going away it's not going away that's right the zombie apocalypse doesn't just come and end and that's it um so yeah i and you know they i think kirkman and stuff like that have always said that you never know what might show up on fear the walking dead that comes from the comics or you know some some other walking dead uh property so there there's the chance that something familiar will show up. Um, but you never know. You just don't know what's going to happen. And I, I agree with Chuck. I like that too. So, yeah. All right. Shannon, uh, also from our Facebook page writes so good when asked, when I asked, how do you think of this episode? And she writes so good, similar elements to the walking dead. Sure. But the execution is completely different and it sets a whole different tone. So I thought I'd read this because, I wanted to ask you, Jason, put you on the spot here. Um, do you think this show has a totally different tone and feeling from from the main show, or is it a little more similar in your mind? I don't know yet. It does feel like it's slightly different, but I don't know if it's completely different. <laughs> so way to sit on the fence. Um, I am way on the fence here. Yeah, I I I think the show feels different than the main show. Um and now partly that could be because of the setting, because of being on the water for so long. Uh, you know, being in Abigail's house for the last couple of episodes to me makes it feel a little bit more like the original show because well, we're back on land, we're, you know, in a seemingly safe location, but things don't go as planned. That kind of idea is similar to what we get on the main show pretty frequently. Um, But I do think this show explores slightly different themes, which I like and does kind of the same things in a slightly different way. So, right. You know, so far so good on that respect. And I hope they can keep it up. I, I do too. Yeah. All right. Hoyt on the internet writes, wow, that was dark. So is Daniel dead? The whole suicide by flaming a crowd of walkers came out of nowhere. In fact, most of the resolutions felt like they came out of nowhere. Hopefully when the season picks back up, we'll have some better answers. Yeah. Hopefully things will come out of somewhere. (laughs) If if something's coming out of something, you want it to be somewhere. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, That's the thing. Uh, I do think we're going to get some, some better answers. I, as I've said, I sort of felt like this episode was almost designed to be, 
a finale type episode and they felt like they had to cram a lot of stuff in. So maybe they rushed some stuff, but now that we're through that, we've got eight more episodes, you know, before the end of season two and we've only had seven so far. So we're only technically not halfway done yet, but I think they'll slow back down again and give us a little bit more of the good stuff that we've had for uh, the previous six weeks. Good. Hope so. Um, Speaking of Daniel, Robert on Facebook writes, Daniel is alive. He hallucinated being in the cellar cage. Madison took the keys to the gate with her when she locked Celia in. Notice there was an open gate. No Celia walker and the walkers did not match. Daniel probably set the fire in another cell. Oh, so he's just crazy. Do you think there's any chance that Daniel hallucinated that whole thing? Oh, that would suck so hard, but yes, there is a chance. <laughs> I mean, he definitely lit a fire because the place burned down and everyone saw it. Yeah. But was he actually in the right place and was he actually burning zombies or was it all was all that in his mind? Uh, he could be in the pool. Who knows? <laughs> He's probably not in the pool. Pretty hard to, you know, you're saying it's pretty hard to start a fire in a wine cellar. It's really hard to start a fire in a pool. Yeah, if the if the fire is real, maybe the fire is imaginary. Maybe the uh, the dude that he slashed with a knife, he just envisioned, "How would I get out of here?" Oh, I know that idiot that I slashed with a knife is going to come by. He's going to untie one of my hands, and then I'm going to headbutt him, and that'll just knock him out cold for some reason. And then I'll be able to, you know, smash him with my chair, even though I'm tied into the chair, and uh, and then I'll be able to get out. And luckily, he'll have keys, uh, a lighter, and then, well, he won't have gas, but. Between here and somewhere else in this basement, there's going to be a can of gasoline, I bet you. So, yeah, maybe he's imagining the whole damn thing. Yeah, I don't think you can imagine a fire like that. I mean, not that... If he imagined escape at all, he can imagine the fire. I know, but we saw the fire from the perspective of other characters, so the fire's really happening. Maybe we're all inside the hallucination. That's a good point. You you make a good point there. So there's an actual fire. That's right. The place is on fire. Whether Daniel... You know, has as he may have lit it, but you know, who knows? Maybe he's whether he's sacrificed himself and all the stuff he went through. I don't know. It's true. Um, that reminds me of something I wanted to ask you though. When he was tied up to that chair in that room where he was first talking to Celia and then his dead wife, and then that guy comes in, um, all those, all that big equipment that was in there, those big silver vats and stuff like that, yeah, was that all winemaking stuff? Yeah, what it's was for all squishing that? grapes. Really? Like that big? Oh, yeah. I'm sure of it. Okay. No, I'm not sure, but, you know, I don't see why not. Because I've seen, like, I've toured breweries and stuff, and I've seen, like, big vats and things like that where they where they make the beer, but it didn't quite look the same, and I don't think they're making beer at this place. So maybe the wine is made with similar equipment? I don't know. And that was their facility? Yeah, I don't know. That I assumed like their... that it was winemaking stuff okay. and that the, uh, the prop makers didn't make all that stuff up that they either rented a location or rented equipment that was for making wine. Right. So I, yeah, I assumed that it was all legit winemaking crap. If anybody out there lets or knows or has any insight into this, let us know. I, I want to make sure, or I just want to know what all that stuff was, if it was mine, winemaking or otherwise. It's for uh, squishing zombies. It's for making gore for uh, Nick to put on his gore suit. So what you do is you put a zombie into the thing, and then you spin the uh, the little wheel that squishes them all out, and all the gore comes out of the holes, and then you can smear it all over yourself so that uh, you can go out and uh, be one of them. Sure. 
I mean, in this, you know, if you're not making wine anymore, you might as well use it to make blood. It's a, it's a zombie squisher. It's a zombie squisher. Yeah. Um, and, uh, Chris or, uh, Nick needs a lot of that stuff. And he also needs an unlimited supply of white tank tops. It seems. Yeah. Well, he washes them, right? <laughs> he does. He showers. Or just comes off. out of a white tank top. I sure. assume you wear it I mean, in the shower and it's pristine when you come out again. Yeah. Why not? I just assumed. Adam in Texas writes, Nick's got a zombie gut shield God complex. This is not going to end well. Next time it rains in Mexico, he's in big trouble. Oh, wait, it never rains in Mexico. But seriously, I'm betting this may be a life-ending overconfidence on his part. Something's going to happen, and that cover won't work. I think Adam in Texas may be onto something here. What's going to happen is Nick is off the deep end with his buy-in to Celia's weird you know, uh, feelings on the zombies. So Nick thinks he's one of them. And at some point he's going to get into some trouble because his gourmet doesn't work anymore. And that's going to snap him out of it. And he's going to come crying back to mommy and say, I'm sorry. It was all, you know, I was wrong all along. That's right. I feel like that's, that's a, there's a high probability of that storyline happening if Nick survives it, but you never know. Well, of course, Nick's going to survive it. I do feel like he's the Daryl Dixon of this show a little bit. I think he's if Daryl Dixon survives the next season. Well, he's survived seven or six years so far. So uh, I have a feeling Nick has a ways to go before he's going to die. If Nick dies, we riot everybody. That's a really crappy way to look at it because, you know, everybody survives a while before they die. You know, you're alive until you're not anymore, right? I've survived 35 years. uh, And that doesn't mean I'm going to survive the next one. 35? Yeah. Just saying. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's just go with it. All right. 35. Sure. Uh, all right. Next up, Claude on the internet writes, I was pleasantly surprised that we didn't get the old, someone forgot to lock the door and then dozens of zombies overrun the plantation motif. <laughs> yeah. As soon as I saw them locked up two episodes back, I thought that was uh, the way they'd be going. No, when in doubt, burn a place down. Well, that's what everybody in the, Zombie apocalypse seems to like to do. That's the last time we were in this situation where people were keeping zombies in some kind of secure location. What happened? They burned the whole place down. Uh huh. So that's what's got to happen now. Yeah, that's you just burn it down. I mean, there's you know, then you have just a whole bunch of zombies on fire. Hopefully, Which hopefully is not. Never a good idea. Never a good idea. No. Um, you know, if they can still walk, but uh, this fire looked pretty big, so. You know, I think so. And those zombies did look kind of lazy. I'm not sure they were walking anywhere. Well, they've been complacent, right? So they're, you know, zombies will wander until they find food. And then, uh, but if they do find food, they just stop. So if you're feeding the zombies, they have no need to riot, Mm -hmm. essentially. They're just like, I'm perfectly content here. So they just stop. Everything is A-OK down here. We're getting fed daily and uh, people come to visit us. I like to eat puppies. (laughs) <laughs> who doesn't come on uh okay hoda on the internet writes i'm a bit conflicted i liked the episode but wasn't fond of so many characters losing their marbles i just can't buy that a guy like daniel would crack in this environment i think he has had to deal with more stressful situations and it doesn't make any sense to have him lose it which made more sense to me before you and i sat down here to chat about this tonight jason because talking about how um, Daniel's wife, uh, Griselda, I believe her name was, um, 
you know, was sort of the sounding board for all of his problems. And she was the one who absorbed it all for him and kept him, kept him straight and kept him going. Um, so now that he lost her, it makes a lot more sense that he would go crazy. Yes. Right. So, uh, I think Hoda, I think that kind of explains it. Um, let's see. Clayton in Texas writes, I think Nick has been playing Celia, just telling her what she wanted to hear. Um, Oh, sorry. Clayton says, I thought Nick had been playing Celia, just telling her what she wanted to hear. Now it looks like he's been drinking the Flavor Aid. Flavor Aid. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think Nick is totally on board with her, but he's misguided. And that's what his mom is trying to tell him. Right. Um, let's see. George on Facebook writes, it was an okay midseason finale. I was expecting a little more to it. It seems that the show is more about humans hating and killing other humans than worrying about the walkers. Which I guess, to be fair, The Walking Dead's always been about that. It really you know, is. People, the living, hurting each other and being far more dangerous than the actual zombies. Uh, Matt in Delaware writes, Snooze Fest. Daniel was the only interesting character and they made him go crazy and shoved his backstory into two episodes. They did. Yeah, so we've gone over that. Now, finally, Andy in the UK writes us a slightly longer message here, um, but I think it deserves a response and uh, I'm not sure what it's going to be, but hopefully we can have one by the time I finish reading it. So uh, pay attention here, <laughs> Mr. I Miles. Will. I am attention paying. Andy writes, hi guys, I've held back any feedback for this season of fear because I wanted to give it a chance to develop, but man, what a huge steaming tur turd it developed into. I'm very surprised you guys cut the show so much slack in your recaps, considering how you never hold back your criticism of the tiniest flaw in the main show. Last week's podcast being a prime example. Over the course of your recap, you basically listed three of four major plot holes, several issues of bad writing, and other general moments of stupidity, and then also read the brilliantly accurate email feedback from Joel in Arizona and several other bits of feedback picking apart the episode, but you guys still seem to like the episode. I just don't get it. Considering the show has dropped 60% of its audience since it started, I don't think I'm alone in this opinion. Even though 4 million is still a lot of people... Surely, if it wasn't piggybacking off the success of the main show, that kind of audience drop would put the show in danger of being axed by now. So, what is it, Jason? Are we too easy on this show, or or are we too hard on the main show, or what's going on here? Well, I don't know, and that's a that's a good point, and I'm a little confused by I, I don't have any reason or rationale for. Uh, for that, if it is in fact true, does it feel true to you that uh, we have pointed out things in this show that we, uh, that we wouldn't have been, uh, accepting of in the big show? No, um, I think, I don't think in general, either show. Well, I, I was gonna say one. I don't think in general either show is better or worse than the other one, but. I mean, if, if I have to take a take a side, I would say right now, currently, despite not liking this episode really at all, I think right now season two of Fear the Walking Dead has actually been better than at least parts of season six of the main show, The Walking Dead. Right. Um, not if you break it down episode by episode, there are episodes in the main show that are better than this one. And there are episodes in this show in fear that are better 
than the other ones. So it's it's hard to say. Uh, in terms of our attitude or our take on these on these shows, I don't know. Um, I don't feel like we're generally sort of more nitpicky on the on the main one and let more slide on this. Uh, but it's it's hard to have the perspective when you're the one sitting here doing doing the analysis, right? Yeah. Um, so it's just interesting that last week's episode seems to be so polarizing because people like Andy in the UK who wrote this message and Joel in Arizona who picked it apart and really found all kinds of problems with it. Um, you know, that's totally valid, but at the same time, I think last week's episode was probably the best one of season two, (laughs) you know? So I don't know, maybe it comes down to personal opinion or different people finding different things uh, more of a problem or less of a problem within the confines of an episode. Um, but it's hard to say. It's hard to to come out and say, you know, what it is exactly. But at the end of the day, I think season two so far of Fear the Walking Dead this week, notwithstanding, has been really good. Despite- I think it has been really good. And this episode is is uh, feels like an exception. Like this one is exceptionally questionable. Yeah. I mean, I know you didn't want to say bad, right? But see, maybe that's the thing. Are we afraid to call this show bad? I don't I don't think so. I mean, I don't think this episode was good. I think it was kind of bad. Um so I I we're just trying to be as honest as we can. And uh, you know, they're different shows, so we have slightly different perspectives on them. And uh that's the way it is, I guess. And and you know, and to be fair, I've always considered consistent consistency to be the refuge of the weak minded. <laughs> So we're inconsistent on purpose? No, not on purpose, but uh, I think that uh, you don't have to have to have consistency. Yeah, no. And I, guess I don't pretend to be consistent in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. I, I think for me, it just comes down to, you know, plot holes, for example, last week. The particular plot holes that were in last week's episode didn't bother me really as much as many other people or really at all. Um I, I thought the stuff that was good about the episode far outweighed outweighed the bad to the point that it made it one of the best episodes of the season yeah. or so far the best probably. And then this week um, it just sort of swung the other way where it wasn't uh, the problems with this episode really outweighed the stuff that I did like. So it's just the way it is. But anyways, everyone and Andy, you know, appreciate you getting your, we appreciate getting your feedback and everyone's comments and uh, you know, that's one of the things we love about doing this, that, you know, we all have different opinions and we love to share them and hear, hear from each other and, and chat about it because, yep. you know, that's the whole reason we're here. Yep, yep. Okay. So that's it. Mid-season finale is done. And uh, what are we going to do now, Jason? We have our first like week off from a new episode in a long time. And, uh, but that doesn't mean we're not going to be podcasting. No, I think we should party like it's $19.99. That's a really good idea. Um, After we finish doing that, though, we will have another podcast coming up soon-ish. It may not be right on schedule next Monday night. We may take next week off. We'll see. I don't know yet. Um, But I guarantee at some point there's going to be some more listener feedback coming up. We may even take a quick look back at season six of the main show um, again because – Uh, There's actually still some listener feedback sitting around from that. Um, So that'll be happening at some point soon. We also have our crossover 
with Jason and Karen from the walking dead cast coming up in the next little while. Um, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll let you know the exact date for that when, uh, when, when we know exactly when it's going to come out, but that's not something we could do as soon as season six ended because we rolled straight into fear. So we are definitely going to do that coming up soon. Um, we are also going to play the Michonne game from telltale and review that on the podcast. So that should be fun. That should be fun. At some point over the summer, uh, we'll get to that. And you never know, maybe we'll get back into doing actor spotlights for any new listeners. And you don't know what that is. What we used to do during the off season or the hiatus is pick an actor from the TV show and then watch some of their other materials, some of the stuff from their back catalog, and then just talk about that and sort of see where they came from and what they were doing before they joined the walking dead. That could be fun. It will be fun. We've got lots of choice because we haven't done it in a while. So yep. there should be plenty. And then before we know it, fear will be back on. Um, we assume sometime in August, but as I said earlier, AMC hasn't announced an actual return date yet. So uh, yep. what I imagine is going to happen is they'll come back eight weeks before season seven is supposed to start. So they'll roll, they'll roll through the second half of season two of fear right into season seven of the walking dead. And we'll have another long run of, of uh, episodes to cover. Absolutely. That's totally, totally what they're going to do. Well, it, it only makes sense. Yeah. And just on a side note, I haven't watched the first episode of Preacher yet, but from what I hear, it was amazing. And I have a feeling I might want to maybe do a one-off podcast about Preacher when there's a couple episodes or a few to talk about. I don't know if you've planned on watching it, Jason, but uh, I might force you. <laughs> okay. Well, I'd like to be forced to watch things that I may or may not enjoy. So yeah. Have you followed it at all? Have you looked into it at all? Do you know not, anything about it? Not even a little bit. All right. Well, it's AMC's new show and uh, we should, I'm definitely going to check it out. So I'm going to, I'm going to coerce you into doing it too. I am, uh, consider me coerced. Okay. Great. I'm in. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, all right, everyone. Um, in the meantime, if you want to get in touch, you can visit our website and click on send voicemail. If you'd like to send us an audio message, that would be fantastic. You can also find us on Twitter at Talking Dead or on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Talking Dead. You can send email to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. Um, so just a reminder, we got nominated for that podcast award voting open Sunday, May 29th. You're not going to hear from us before then, I don't think, seeing as that's next Sunday. But uh, keep your keep your eye holes on our Facebook page and our Twitter and stuff like that. And if we do record next Monday, which... Since the voting opens, Jason, we probably should. Um, so let's let's plan to do that. Uh, we'll remind you then too. But if if you can remember, visit podcastawards.com uh, on Sunday, starting on Sunday, May 29th, and submit your vote for us. And uh, we'd really appreciate it. All right. Until next time, everyone. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao.